Lord Jesus, how we love you. How we thank you that we could have this training, that you could open up your heart to us, you can open up your word to us, that you could show us the Jubilee. Lord, again tonight, we come to you. We come empty and open. Cleanse each one of us in your precious and prevailing blood. We like to open our hearts, our minds, our whole being, that you could speak to each one of us personally. Oh, and, and, and deeply, even intimately. Lord, our prayer is that we could be brought back to our possession, to our real inheritance. We just confess we don't enjoy you enough. We like to enjoy you more. We just cry out to you. May all these words become our experience. We pray this, Lord, in your precious name. Well, tonight we come to the third message, and this message is on the possession of the Jubilee, which is really the first blessing. You know, uh, by now we've read the verses, we've seen a little bit about what the Jubilee is, and we realize that the first blessing of the Jubilee is that every person or every man, if he sold his property, his land, he was... Uh, returned. He was able to come back and claim that portion of land that had been given to him by God. And the second blessing is that all of the slaves were set free. So tonight we're going to fellowship about the returning to our possession, tomorrow about the slaves being set free. You know, uh, dear saints, young people, especially the young people and the serving ones, are so burdened uh, that we all would have such a rich experience of Christ. You know, I, I really enjoy the singing. The singing has been very delightful and it's quite, uh, quite amazing to be in such a, a large facility and everyone singing and enjoying and releasing their spirit singing about the Jubilee. But you know, we get to the end of this week and we're going to be on proclaiming the Jubilee. And maybe we could sing about it, but I wonder if we can proclaim it. And the reason I wonder this, and maybe this is kind of the burden that the Lord has put within my heart, is that if we don't experience this, if we don't know this ourselves, it's not just some message or a few words. It's a living. It's a living. It's a day-by-day -day experience. And so this is the prayer that is within me as we have this meeting tonight, this fellowship, that we all would be brought into the real experience of the Jubilee that we, young people, imagine that, young people are satisfied. Are you satisfied? Young people have every need met. They're happy. Maybe not all the time in a state of ecstasy. 
I don't know if you're going to be dancing around your campus or in your classroom. Like Brother Mark said last night, I enjoyed that. Didn't you enjoy that? Imagine you could just be reading the Bible and you come to a point where you're just nearly beside yourself. We need these kind of experiences. Maybe we can't imagine that that would be us. I mean, dispositionally, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here on the platform and dance for you. Uh, it would take quite an ecstasy for that to happen. <laughs> but really, brothers and sisters, really consider, let's, let's open ourselves to the Lord and just say, Lord, I want this. I really want this. I want to be able to talk about it. I want to be able to bring others into this. I don't want this just a topic that we, we covered in the training and we forget about a few days or weeks later. So how about we just really open to the Lord in a prayer, prayerful way that every item that we fellowship tonight would become a real experience to us. So this is the angle. This is where I'm coming from. This is my kind of starting point, okay? Now to begin, I prepared a little slideshow uh, actually, it's like a PowerPoint, but it's, it's not. And there you have it. You got a little bit of me there and uh, <laughs> the possession of the Jubilee. This is being recovered to our portion. This is the title of our message tonight. Do you need to be recovered? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah for the Lord's recovery. Amen. We're all being recovered. Well, the first... Uh, a point that I want to talk about is I want to show you something. Uh, this, is, this is kind of fun. I, I did this last night after I got back to my room. I thought, you know what? I want, to, I want to show you something. You know, it said in Leviticus 25 to count off seven Sabbaths. Remember that? You shall count off seven Sabbaths of years to yourself. <clears throat> seven times seven years so that you have the time of seven Sabbaths of years, that is 49 years. Okay, now you notice that I put 1971, 1977, you see the years on there, right? Well, this is a little bit of a testimony. You know, it was in 1970, actually 70, before this, it was in the 49th year, I was a high school senior, and I went to a home meeting in a little town outside of Fresno. And in that home meeting, there were three of, uh, there were, no, no, I was the only one in high school. The others were old enough to be my parents, old enough to be my grandparents. It was quite a strange thing, why I would be there, why I would go there. But I have to tell you, that night, I got into the Jubilee. I saw something. I realized something, and the Lord called me. He said, this is, what you, this is what your life is about. This is what your life is for. Let me tell you a little bit before that, my wife and I were boyfriend and girlfriend in high school. And we were, we began, we were serious about our life, and we decided that we would set aside 
the month of March to pray and fast concerning our future and whether the Lord would bring us together as husband and wife. So we set aside the month of March. We didn't fast like the Lord did for 40 days, even for 30. But what we did is on Saturday, we would fast the whole day and then have some time together in the evening to pray. And it was at the end of that month, we had four weeks of this kind of prayer with fasting and the Lord met, met me, met us in that little house outside of Fresno. Saints, I'd just like to tell you this testimony because I hope that you would become desperate seekers, seekers of the Lord, to know him, to experience him, and to have him call you to himself. Well, that was in 1970. And so on my chart here, I have the first year is 1971. But you'll notice that there's a 50 slash one on this, this particular one. Uh, you know, I got, a, I got a little device here that I can play with. See that right there? <laughs> you know what that 50 is? That's the 50 of the previous 50 years. Do you know what? The first year of the 50 years is the 50th year of the previous 50 years. Do you remember last night, Mark, or was it the night before, the brother shared how the Lord created man on the sixth day, and man's first day was the Sabbath, was a rest. Do you know what? Our, our Christian life should begin with a jubilee. It should begin with a 50. Even we're brand new. Some here tonight are brand new. We're just new sa newly saved ones or young in the Lord. You're still in your first year but it's 50, okay? And then as you count off the years, and this is what happened. Saints, I have to tell you, this is my testimony. I'm in my jubilee year. Actually, next year, woo! Next year is my jubilee year. Look at that. And throughout these 50 years, so much has happened. So much, so much has, uh, has taken place. So he said, count off seven Sabbaths. So you get all these, you count them off, you get to 49. And then, you know what? On the 10th day of the seventh month, you know, we would say July 10th, right? Are we in July? I think we're in July, right? And uh, the 10th day, what do you do? On the day of expiation, that's the day the Lord died on the cross, at the type, there was an announcement throughout the whole land. And that announcement was for January 1, next year, everything goes back. The slaves are free, and it's a total reset. You know, every day we get a new beginning, right? And every year we get another new beginning. But this was the reset of resets. No matter how defeated, how fallen, how much you lost, you sold your land, you sold yourself, you're so poor, you got a new beginning, a new start. Oh, I love new starts. I don't know about you, but I love new beginnings because I have another chance 
to enjoy the Lord. So then on the first day of the next year, the Jubilee year begins. Now, what, one of the things I wanted to point out with this chart is how God loves Sabbaths. Look at all the years. I mean, these are years of complete rest. All these uh, red ones, you know, the 51 and the 7, 14, 21, you know, this whole line here, that one there, these are all Sabbaths. How about that? You work for six years and then you get a year off. In fact, you don't just get the year off, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to sow your field or prune your vines. You have to rest. Why? Because God is resting. And he wants you to be just like him. So, okay. So this is my, my little chart. So rejoice with me. I've heard the announcement. Jubilee is, is coming. Praise the Lord. Okay. So what is the Jubilee? The Jubilee is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year that the Lord accepts everyone. Have you failed to such an extent that the Lord could never accept you? Have you sold yourself? Have you become a slave? Are you addicted? Are you lost to that extent? But praise the Lord, you know what this is? This is the acceptable year of the Lord. That the Jubilee was in the 50th year signifies that the full responsibility, the full responsibility typified by the number 50 to meet all the requirements of God has been fulfilled so that man does not need to bear any responsibility. Wow. Okay, the number five in typology is made up of four plus one. Four plus one. Your hand is a, a strong indication of this type. Four is a, is a picture of the created man, the four winds of the earth, the four, you know, the four seasons. All of this speak of man. And one, of course, always speaks of God. So when you have four plus one, you have responsibility. You mingled with God, added together with God, you experiencing God can bear responsibility. When you come to 50, that's 10 times five, and that is responsibility to the uttermost. It's responsibility in full. And when we come to 50 years, this tells us that the Lord is bearing the full responsibility. Hallelujah. The burden is no longer on our shoulders. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be it. No more trying, no more effort. He's got this. He really has got this. Isn't that good? I think that's Jubilee. Doesn't that sound like good news? So that man does not need to bear any responsibility. The second point, the New Testament age would be the time when God would accept the returned captives of sin and when those oppressed under the bondage of sin would enjoy the release of God's salvation and keep the New Testament jubilee. Very good. All right, so 
we come to this very precious portion in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. How about we all read this together, all right? Come to me, all who toil and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Because God is a God of Sabbath. Do you know what Sabbath means? Let me give you a definition of Sabbath. This, this, is, this may help us to understand. You know, the, you know, the Lord made this one of the Ten Commandments. And you wonder, why? why? Well, let me tell you the real significance of Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath requires man to take all that God is and all that God has accomplished for our rest and for our enjoyment. No work, no sweat, no labor. Just enjoy God. Enjoy what he's done. What did he do? He called us. He selected us in eternity past. And in time, he called us. He died for us. He redeemed us. And now as the life-giving spirit, he's within us. We need a whole day, every week, set aside for us just to enjoy all that he's done, all that he's accomplished. He says, come to me all who toil. The note here, and let's read some of these notes. Toil here refers not only to the toil of striving to keep the commandments of the law and religious regulations, but also to the toil of struggling to be successful in any work. Are you a toiling Christian? Oh, I think young people toil a lot in their Christian life. Here it mentions keeping the law. But how about the struggle to be a good Christian? How about the struggle to overcome sin? To fight off the temptations of the world? How hard is that? What a struggle. Are you sweating? Are you trying? Are you defeated again and again and toiling? Praying for the Lord to give you strength, asking him to help you not to do that again. This is the toil. And the Lord knows you. He knows your situation. He knows your struggle. And he's calling, come to me, come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. The second note here says, whoever toils thus is always heavily burdened. The Lord lived such a life, caring for nothing but the will of his Father. He submitted himself fully to the Father's will. He called this kind of people to come to him for rest. You know, not only is it a struggle to be a good Christian or to even try to be an overcomer, but it also mentions here to be successful in any work. That's like the toil of human labor, like 
to get a good degree, to study hard, to carry out a job, to get a promotion. The whole world is in this big sweat mobile. Everyone's sweating and they're trying and working and, and it's easy to get caught up in that and to get into that mobile. The yoke. Let's read. Rest refers not only to being set free from the toil and burden under the law or religion or under any work or responsibility, but, to all, but also to perfect peace and full satisfaction. To take the Lord's yoke is to take the will of the Father. It is not to be regulated or controlled by any obligation of the law or religion or to be enslaved by any work, but to be constrained by the will of the Father. The Lord lives such a life, hence he asks us to learn. Learners tonight, we're trainees, right? And so he says, come to me and learn. Learn from me. Learn from my pattern. Okay, to be meek, he says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. To be meek or gentle means not to resist opposition. To be lowly means not to have self-esteem. Throughout all the opposition, the Lord was meek, and throughout all the rejection, he was lowly in heart. Imagine, you're in a situation, a lot of opposition. There's frustration in your environment. There's difficulties in your family. Your friends don't like you anymore. You're up against a lot of pressure, and things are not going well. Does that ever happen? says the Lord was meek. He says, learn from me, for I am meek. I don't fight. I don't resist. I don't struggle. I'm lowly in heart. I'm humble. I'm, I'm down here. I'm, I'm not up here. I'm not proud. Throughout all the rejection, he was lowly in heart. He submitted himself fully to the will of the Father, not wanting to do anything for himself, or expecting to gain something for himself. Hence, regardless of the situation, he had rest in his heart. He was fully satisfied with his Father's will. Doesn't that sound like Jubilee? Jesus was the first one living in the reality of the Jubilee. So, I love this quote. I found this quote. Maybe you've read it or heard it or seen it. Nothing pleases the Lord so much as for us to realize that he does not want us to do anything. He only wants us to love him, to open ourselves up to him, and to let him live from within us. You know, through the fall, man was poisoned. And let me tell you what the poison does to us. The poison within us wants us to do, even to do good, to do good and to know. It's a tree of knowledge. To know and to do. These are powerful forces in our fallen humanity. But look at this. Can you really, do you really believe this? That nothing pleases God so much as for us to realize, oh, young people, saints, realize he does not want us to do anything. He only wants us to love him. Open ourselves up to him and let him live. Let him do it. Let him be it from within us.
Okay, so now we come to uh, another point we're talking about. I'm trying to get to the outline. This is a long opening word. I'm, I hope I save enough time for my message. <laughs> and that is the distribution of the land. When the children of Israel went into the good land by lot, I don't know if you know what that means, lots, they cast lots. It's kind of like, it was kind of an Old Testament method of knowing God's will and way. They were able to establish boundaries and the children of Israel were given this good land in pieces. And every tribe got a big portion and it was really dependent upon how many people were in their tribe. Some of the tribes were larger than others, and so they got a big piece of land. Some got the mountains, some got the hills, some got the valleys, some got, you know, the lower part. Some got, but they all got their part. It's wonderful. And then the tribes, what did they do? They had to divide up the land according to their families. Okay, you got the Smith family, you got the Jones family, you got the Johnson family, you got all these, and every family had a lot of people in them. So they got a portion. And then the households got their part. So everybody had land. And that means everyone had a job. There were no landowners. There were no rich, there were no poor. They all had their portion. After my wife and I got married, we were living in this San Joaquin Valley in California where there's a lot of farmers. In fact, my, my wife grew up in a, in a family of, uh, with, with a farm. And her dad purchased, he had five children, and he purchased five farms, and he wanted each of his children to have their own farm. Um, I think, wow, that's a great idea. Would you like to be a farmer? Well, I, I respectfully declined the offer. <laughs> but it's like that. You know, I guess when the sons became of age and when they, they got married, then what the father would do would give them their piece of the land. Now, through the fellowship, we have come to realize that the good land, the good land of Canaan, is a type of Christ. It's a type of the all-inclusive Christ. The good land of Canaan, the good land of Can uh, the good land is a full, complete, and consummate type of the all-inclusive Christ. Now, <clears throat> I want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7 through 9. And I want you to re listen to this in the context of the Jubilee. Because this is what they were returned to. Okay, it says this, verse 7 through 10, sorry, Deuteronomy 8. For Jehovah your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of water brooks, of springs, and and of fountains flowing forth in valleys and in mountains, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees with oil and of honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, 
No one's going to be hungry. You will not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and from whose mountains you can mine copper. And you shall eat and be satisfied and you shall bless Jehovah your God for the good land which he has given you. All of these parts here all describe a different aspect of the enjoyment of Christ. A land of water brooks, springs and fountains signifying the all-inclusive spirit as the bountiful supply to his believers. You know, at the beginning of our Christian life, enjoying the water, the flow of life is really good. Today, the Lord is the flowing spirit. We're in class, we're on the campus, we're at a job. We can take a drink. Lord Jesus, Oh, Lord, I love you. A little breathing, a little opening. And he's water brook. He's a spring. He's a fountain. You know, this Hebrew word for fountain here is deep waters. Sometimes what we need to drink are deep waters. Just a quick little drink will not satisfy. We have to drink deeply. You want to enjoy the Jubilee, you have to learn how to drink the deep waters. Amen. It's also <clears throat> a land with the valleys and mountains, and they signify the different kinds of environments in which we can enjoy this supply. You like the mountaintop experiences? Of course. How about the valleys? Have you ever been in a valley when things seem hopeless? Discouraged, defeated. Let me tell you something. If there weren't valleys, there would be no flow. The water could never reach you, but the water flows in the valleys. Because why? Because there's mountains. There's mountains and there's valleys. And the Lord is real to us in both places. The wheat signifies the, okay, I'm going to go through this quickly, okay? I want you to touch something of all the riches of this good land. This was their possession. And this is what would happen if they became poor, defeated, and they sold their land. This is what they gave up. This is what they lost. It's a land of wheat, signifies, and the wheat signifies the incarnated, crucified, and buried Christ. And the barley signifies the resurrected Christ. Vines typify the Christ who sacrificed himself to produce wine to cheer God and man. You know, I, I, I'm hesitating to say too much because of the time, but the incarnated Christ, the infinite God becoming a finite man. What limitation? What restriction? What frustration? must have been his day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience. Have you been restricted? Have you been limited? Do you like to be limited? Do you like to be restricted like that? The Lord lived his whole life like this. The infinite God in a human body. Everything about it was restriction. He got tired. He had to sleep. He became weary. He was thirsty. All of these, as the, as the divine 
Godhead, he never got thirsty, but as a man, he got thirsty and he even was weary. Saints, we need to enjoy wheat. We need to add some wheat into our diet. Why? Because when we eat this wheat, I don't care if you need to be gluten-free. Don't be gluten-free on this diet, okay? <laughs> you need wheat so you can enjoy being restricted. I worry, you know, we can sing and jump and shout in the meeting, but in our restriction, we might just only murmur, complain, and cry. We need to enjoy this Christ. The vines signify the Christ who, was, who sacrificed himself. Can you, can you sacrifice yourself to produce wine to cheer God and man? The fig tree speaks of the sweetness and satisfaction of Christ as the life supply. Pomegranates signify the fullness, the abundance, and beauty, and the expression of the riches of Christ as life. The bread signifies Christ as the bread of life. The olive tree signifies Christ as the one who was filled with the Spirit and anointed with the Spirit. If you're going to go on the campus to proclaim the Jubilee, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need a lot of olive trees on your land because out of the olive trees comes olives and out of the olives comes olive oil, which is a type of the Spirit. For us to proclaim the Jubilee, we have to be those kind of people full of the Spirit and also baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit within and without. Let me, char let me charge you, grow some olive trees on your, on your land Amen. You follow me, right? <laughs> Milk and honey speaks forth the goodness and sweetness of Christ. The stones signify Christ as the material for building God's dwelling. Look at all of this comes out of the land. God's house comes out of the land. And even, you know what? Spiritual warfare, the way to defeat the enemy. It's all in this portion, saints. It's in our possession. We have been fully supplied, fully equipped. We have everything. We lack nothing. Amen. Iron and copper are for making weapons and typify our spiritual warfare by which we fight against the enemy. Iron also signifies Christ's ruling authority. Oh, sometimes, you know what? We have to deal with the enemy. And, and many of us, we are just always victimized by the enemy. He plays with us because we have no iron and copper. Oh, you need a mountain and you need to mine out the copper. Actually, the copper here is bronze. Copper also speaks of Christ's judging power. Satan, we judge you. We defeat you. We cast you into the lake of fire. You're nothing but a liar. You see, you have iron, you have copper, you have boldness to deal with the enemy. The mountains from which the copper is mined signify Christ's resurrection and ascension. Now, before we get to that one, I want to show you three verses in the Old Testament that speak of the land. The first one was to Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 13. And this is kind of new, all right? Genesis 13, verse 14. 
This was after Lot separated from Adam, uh, Abraham, sorry. And there was, it was not a good separation. And remember, Lot chose the best part for himself. And then God took Abraham up to the top of a mountain. This is what he said. Jehovah said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your seed forever. Okay, you look this way for as far as you can see. You look this way for as far as you can see. This way and this way. Whatever you can see is yours. Didn't we have this meeting yesterday, I think, to open their eyes? Open their eyes. Young people, saints, we need to lift up our eyes. Our eyes are on ourselves. Oh, our failures, our defeats, our problems, our Facebook account. Lift up your eyes. Look this way. Look that way. This is a vast Christ, a big Christ, an all-inclusive Christ. Then the second verse I would like to share with you is in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. And this is a prayer, the prayer of Jabez. Now, I heard some, some Christian teachers talking about the prayer of Jabez, asking the Lord to bless them and to cause you to become prosperous and make you rich. Okay, well, I surely agree that we all need to be made rich, but not rich with money rich with Christ. And this is what it says, 1 Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the, Lord, on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would richly bless me and enlarge my border. What does this mean? This means his land was too small. His portion was too little. His enjoyment was too small. This is, saints, this really is the burden tonight. We would pray, Lord, enlarge my border. My enjoyment of you is far too small, much too limited. I don't know you as so many things. I know you as a drink. I know you as the air. Maybe I ate, ate the Lord once or twice. I, but I don't know you when this happens or that is going on. I need you to enlarge my border that I would experience you to the full. And then we come to this one. This is Joshua 1.3. As the children of Israel were going into the good land, the Lord said, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you as I promised Moses. Okay, so first we have to see it. Then we have to pray for it to be enlarged. And then every day we have to spend some time walking in this land, this Christ, so that we could possess it. It would become our experience. Amen? Okay, so that's the end of my opening word. Maybe it's my closing word too. Um, 
As you can tell, this is a burden within me, is that we have to get past the terminology, the slogans, the, even the declarations. May there be this kind of cry, Lord, I want all of this. I want to experience this. Maybe you can answer this for me. Why are so many Christians unhappy? Unhappy in their marriage. Unhappy in their fa family situation. Are you unhappy? Are you one of those unhappy Christians? Well, things happen. Bad things happen. I lost my job. I lost my health. I lost my, my family. Of course I'm going to be unhappy. Who wouldn't be unhappy? Is, but doesn't this work for that? Isn't the jubilee for that? Paul was in a prison in Rome, chained to a Roman barbarian guard. And he had this prayer. I know that for me, this will turn out to salvation. And because I'm in the body... This salvation is going to come through your petitions. Your petitions and the bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. The suffering God-man Jesus and the resurrected Christ. The spirit of that one will supply me. And then he said this, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing, not one thing, I would be put to shame, but with all boldness, as always, wow, even now, even now, even in this situation, Christ will be magnified, like that. Christ will become so big, shining out of me. This, you could say, jubilee would come out of me. What they would see would not be a suffering Paul in prison. They would see a jubilee Jesus. He's at rest. He's at peace. He's satisfied. You know, Paul went on in chapter 4 of Philippians and he said, I've learned the secret. I know how to be abased. I know how to be dirt poor. I know how to abound. In everything and in all things, every single thing, and in all things put together, I've been initiated into this secret society, this secret group of people that know how to apply Christ, know how to experience and enjoy him no matter what's going on. This was Paul. He got it. He lived the jubilee. Okay, let's, let's really do this. <laughs> I think I gave all the burden already, the message. But anyway, let, let's try. In the year of jubilee, uh, Roman 1, in the year of jubilee, everyone who had sold his possession, his allotted portion of the good land, was returned to it without paying anything to redeem it. This signifies that in the New Testament Jubilee, the believers have returned to God as their lost divine portion. 
Paul was charged. We, we got this verse. I hope, hope you memorize this verse, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive the of sins and an inheritance among all those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Oh, you're memorizing verses? <laughs> I heard that some are not that motivated. And, uh, but oh, we get to, I better get to the end of the outline because I got to talk about that. <laughs> to obtain the, an inheritance. In Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father who qualified us for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. You know, we saw last night that we are now currently in the age of Jubilee, not just a year of Jubilee, the whole New Testament age, the age of grace is a, is a, new, is a Jubilee age. It's the age of Jubilee. Imagine that. The Lord somehow kept extending and extending for 2,000 years this New Testament jubilee. And Paul applies it in Colossians a lot. He says that the Father qualified us for a share of this allotted. We got our peace. We got our part of this all-inclusive Christ. Wow. A, the good land of Canaan was given to the children of Israel for their inheritance. In the New Testament, the believer's inherit, inheritance is not a physical land. It is the all-inclusive Christ. The good land of Canaan is a type of the all-inclusive Christ, the one who is everything to us. The riches of the good land typify the unsearchable riches of Christ in different aspects. We covered all these earlier, all the different aspects. You know, it might be that this one certain kind of aspect, maybe in taking tests, you know, your final exams, you've kind of mastered experiencing Christ. But when you're talking to your parents, you haven't yet. It's too easy to get out to get mad, to react. Oh, you'll be reacting for your whole life. Sometimes it's those reactions that open our eyes to realize kind of where we really are. You know, this has happened to me a number of times when things have happened. My kids, they're grown now. They come to me with something that is just outrageous. And I just can't hardly believe the reaction in my being, it's just, whoa. So I realize there's another part of me. There's a, another aspect of my heart that I have to open up to the Lord for him to add himself, mingle himself. I need to experience him there. Point B, <clears throat> in his creation of man, God intended that in Christ, he would be everything to man, his life, joy, entertainment, provision, and protection. You know, the, the Bible starts with a garden and a tree. A garden was his place, his house, and the tree was his source, his supply, his food. And when Adam 
and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost the tree and they lost the garden. And they never got it back. But we can get it back. Because that tree showed up again in the New Testament. really quite something. And then the children of Israel, after they went, after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went into Canaan to possess it, they went down into Egypt. It was practical. They needed food. They needed a job. They needed a, a place to live, a place to raise their family. So they left the good land and they went down to Egypt. And after being there for a little while, they became slaves. Again, Another case where the picture shows that losing the possession that God had for them. God wants to be everything. In the garden, God wanted to be man's food, supply, joy, happiness, activity, purpose, everything. But man forsake, forsook that. He chose something else. Man was created as a vessel to contain God as his content his possession. If man does not contain God, he does not have his possession, but, and he remains a poor, empty vessel. So you could say that even a, a vessel, a container, you know, all of us are just not much more than that. We're just a container. We're a bottle. Like a Coke bottle is filled with Coke. When it's full of Coke, Coca-Cola, it is fulfilling its purpose. When that bottle is empty, it no longer is serving its purpose. We lost our possession. We lost our content. Amen. You know, I think on this, always I'm touched on this point about being a vessel. I just don't realize, I don't know if you realize how real this is, how really, really real it is to be a vessel. Your mind is a vessel, it's a container. Your heart, your emotion, your thoughts. And you know what? We have to become really good at how to empty our vessel and how to open our vessel. We have to empty it of all the anxieties and all the troubles, all the worldly confusion, all the issues, the problems. How do we do that? We do this by praying, by saying it. Lord, I empty myself out. I empty out my mind. I empty out my heart. I empty out my emotion. All these things occupy me, but I just let go. I let go. I empty them out. And I want you to fill. I want you to fill my mind. I want the mind of Christ I want my heart to be full of the love of God. I want my will to be the will of God. Lord, come in and fill my relationships. My relationship with my wife, my husband, my kids. Fill my goals, my dreams, my hopes, my education. Fill me, Lord. Fill every part. We have to be aggressive. We have to be active. And dear saints, we have to be specific. I believe you ask the Lord, he will answer. He will do this for you. B, 
after receiving their portion of the land, some of the children of Israel became poor and sold their land. This signifies that fallen man has lost God as his possession. You know, uh, some were lazy. Some were, you know, maybe we say lazy. That means they just were not that exercised. They were not that motivated. Are you a motivated Christian? Are you a seeker? Are you a pursuer? I have to ask the Lord, Lord, make me one of your pursuers. I want to run, I want to run after you. Draw me. We will run after you. Don't be passive. Please, don't be passive. Don't be indifferent. They became lazy. They didn't want to work. It was too hard. It made them sweat. (laughs) So they just let the land go. And maybe for one year, there's a crop just because the trees are there and because the the plants are there. And so you get by. And then year two, maybe a little less, year three, eventually... You're out of money and you're out of food. And the only way for you to live is to give up some of your land. So you sell off a section. Maybe you sell off a portion. Maybe you sell the whole thing. Now, spiritually speaking, what this means is we lost our Christ. We lost our enjoyment of him. We sold it for something else. We sold it, even sold our birthright. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says that you were at that time apart from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This was the conclusion. No hope without God in the world. Now, you just picture for a moment your campus, your university campus, those crowds, those people, thousands, 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 in Europe, here, everywhere. The Bible says, without hope, without God, and just in the world. What a terrible, terrible diagnosis. Let's keep going. In the fall, Adam left God and lost God as his possession. Therefore, all his descendants live on the earth without God. in the experience of many Christians. I I need you all to at least circle, highlight, or underline this point too. In fact, let's read it together, all right? In the experience of many Christians, Christ has been replaced in every way. They have been distracted from Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, verse two and three, He says, I'm jealous with you with the jealousy of God. Let me find it so I can read it right. 
For I am jealous over you with a jealousy of God. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You're only for Christ. You have to save yourself for him. He wants to present you as a bride, a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve through his craftiness, your thoughts would be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity toward Christ. You know, the enjoyment of Christ is something so simple, so pure. Well, I think about today's political situation, today's social situation, today's common life among young people on the campuses. What a terrible situation. Everywhere on the whole earth, Turmoil, unrest, hatred, anger, violence. Oh, I never saw. I never imagined America would be like this. And here you are right in the middle of this thing. And we're, brothers, we're jealous over you. We're jealous over you. Oh, you don't know the jealousy of God that somehow the serpent through his subtlety, will take you away. Through some philosophy, some, ha some a tradition, some religious teaching, something. The enemy is always trying to use something to substitute Christ, to replace him, to get you off the land and out of the enjoyment. All kinds of things are going on. Satan's activity is to produce many subtle substitutes, many clever counterfeits for Christ. The verses here are from Galatians, Colossians, and 1 Corinthians. You know, in Galatians, it says, you have been brought to naught. That means nothing from Christ. You have been separated from Christ. You who are trying to be perfected by the law. You're trying to be a good Christian, you forget about Christ. You've already been separated. You're, you've been brought to nothing. And then in Colossians, oh, he says, I don't want anyone to delude you. I don't want anyone to defraud you through his philosophy. I don't want you to be deluded by persuasive speech, by issues, movements, concepts. These are all prevailing. Oh, the concepts, the movements, catching young people and carrying them in a, in a flow. Then he says, beware that no one carries you off as spoil. The enemy is using so many things. You know, we're jealous. Please understand. We're full of the jealousy of God for every single, every single individual one of you. You're for the Lord. You're for the enjoyment of Christ, okay? You're not for that. You're not for this world, not for the movements of this age, okay? In the year of Jubilee, every man was returned to his lost possession, signifying that in the New Testament Jubilee, we are returned to God as our possession. 
You know, I think we need to pray. Lord, really bring me back to my possession, to my enjoyment of Christ. I want to enjoy Christ to the uttermost. You know, there is a picture in the New Testament of the prodigal son. And we're going to get into this in more detail in the coming meetings. But it's a real picture of the uh, Jubilee. You know, in the prodigal son, there's a man, he had two, two sons, and one said, give me my portion of the inheritance. He took the money and he left, and he spent it on harlots and living uh, in a terrible way until he had nothing left. And then he did. He joined himself to one of the people of that place. And then he went to work for that guy's feeding pigs. Oh, the filthy industry. Do you have a sense that sometimes you're touching something like a pig, a pig pen? Some of those things, those places on the internet are just filthy. There, there I am. There I am. And I'm longing because I'm hungry to eat what the pigs are eating. What a terrible kind of situation. But let me tell you, let me tell you what happens. The father sends the son as a shepherd. And I believe tonight this shepherd is coming to look that even in this room there are some lost sheep. Some that have gone astray. Some that are lost. And he's seeking. He's leaving the 99. And he's going after you. And then he comes as the spirit. Lighting a lamp in your inward parts. Right now he's lighting a lamp and he's sweeping. Sweeping in a fine way. To search for that one lost coin. That's you. And so this son, he's in this pig pen, dying of hunger, longing to eat what the pigs are eating. And it says, and he came to himself. I hope we all would come to ourselves, if not tonight, this week. And he says, my, my, my father's servants are living better than this. Why? What am I doing here? I'm going to rise up and I'm going to go home. So you think, well, it was him that came back to his possession. No, it was the triune God. It was the Father, the Son as the shepherd, and the Spirit as the woman bringing you back, bringing you back. He did it. And this is the best part. Oh, I just love this. It says the Father saw him a long way off. What does that mean? That means the father was out every day watching for that moment when the son would come, when the son would return. Nothing is more painful than for your son to leave you, to turn his back on you and run away. Even if it's for an hour or for a few minutes, every father loves his sons heartbreaking 
But when the father saw him, the father ran. How old was he? How old was this guy? I thought maybe I should run across the, the uh, platform here to impress you. <laughs> the father ran. He's, you know, he's probably just oh, running as fast as he can, and he's going like you can walk faster than that. <laughs> but he's running. What eagerness. Tears pouring down his face. My son, my son, he's come home. He's come back. He reaches him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He covers him. He's not standing there like this. I knew you would come back. Didn't I tell you this would happen? What'd you do with all my money? <laughs> do you know the Jubilee was not just for man, it's also for God. We had this on a point in our outline last night. The Jubilee is for God, for man, and for the land. Okay. I read C. Number one, to be saved is to return to our inheritance, to return to God in Christ and enjoy him anew as our possession. The Jubilee is altogether related to our God in Christ as our possession. When we possess, when we have him, we have the Jubilee and everything is to our satisfaction. Okay, <clears throat> now we come to the most important part of this message and I still have a little bit of time. So good. I hope you're, hope you're still with me. All right? You with me? Okay. So if I were you, I would say, Brother Tom, how do we enjoy the Lord? How do you enjoy the Lord? We talk about enjoying the Lord. We talk about enjoyment, enjoy, enjoyment, enjoyment. But do you know how? You know, I said this... Um, Earlier, I asked the question, why, why is it that there's so many Christians are unhappy? And you know, if you would forgive me to say this, I would add that especially the sisters are unhappy. So you should say, Brother Tom, how do I enjoy the Lord? How do I overcome my emotion? How do I overcome those feelings? Those dis disappointments. What's that acronym for being left out? What is it? F-O-M-O. Feeling, what? Oh, fear, fear of, yeah, yeah. I never had to, well, I shouldn't say that. Fear of missing out. I heard this is a big thing with the young generation. And I also heard, you know what else I heard? I've been reading a book about you all. <laughs> the most connected generation of all time. You got tons of friends. They're all, you know, you got friends. You got hundreds of friends. Just check your Facebook page. Most of them you don't even know, but somehow they found, they, they worked their way into 
your friend category, but you're the most lonely generation ever. There's studies like this. There's studies. The leading characteristic of your generation is lonely. You don't have close relationships. You don't have real friends. And you, then you have the fear of missing out. You open up your Facebook page and there was a party and you weren't invited. That's a bad day. <laughs> do, we, do we know how to overcome normal, ordinary things that happen in our daily life? Are we completely just at the enemy's moving his little finger and we're out of the game? So we have to become really good at enjoying the Lord, all right? So it says here, we possess God as our portion by enjoying him. You know, the psalmists are the best ones on the enjoyment of God. And we can get a lot from them. You know, there are two different kinds of psalms. There are some psalms that are written by law keepers. And then there's other psalms that are written by God lovers. And they are just, God, they just love the Lord. They enjoy him. Listen to this psalm, Psalm 16, 5. Jehovah is the portion, I'm sorry, is my, no, no, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Would you write that? This was inspired. Je Jehovah, God, is the portion of my inheritance. What I have, what I have been given is God. And in a general way, as a general kind of expression, he's my inheritance. But then he says, and my cup. That's personal, that's intimate, that's private. That's very, very experiential. So on one hand, we could declare, yes, we have the jubilee. We have our possession. But this possession has to become a drink to us, a cup. Psalm 116, verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Jehovah. This is how we enjoy the Lord. You say, well, that's too simple. I've heard that. I know that. I know that. I've... Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. In Jeremiah 15, 16, the prophet said, and your words were found, and I ate them. The concept of eating God's word is not new. This is Old Testament. And your words became unto me the gladness, the joy of my heart. Does your heart need joy? Does your heart need gladness? I tell you, there's a sure way. You find the word and you eat it. Learn how to eat the Lord. Last night we had a lot of good fellowship about reading the Bible. 
Reading the Bible is one of the, one of the ways to eat the Lord. Mark was eating the Lord as he was reading his Bible. There's no doubt about that. But there's other ways. You know, the Lord has ordained for me to pass through some things in my life, difficult things, things related to my health, things related to my family, things related to my children. But I learned something. Like Paul, I'd like to tell you, I've learned the secret. I'm not proud. And I'd like to tell you. And I, I invented this way. And I would encourage you to invent your way to contact the Lord and enjoy him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And the Lord rising very early in the morning while it was still night. He went out and he went away to a deserted place and there he prayed. How did I face so many things? And that's not even to mention the problems in, you know, in the church life. There's problems in the church life, you know, in coordination with the elders, with the, you know, I'm an elder and oh my goodness. I got to coordinate with him? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I, what I learned. I'd go out early in the morning when it was still dark, and I would walk, and I would call, and I would open. I didn't pray about, oh, this and oh, that. I, I just, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Just like this. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. And I would spend most of the time opening. Lord, I open to you. I open my mind, my heart. And then, you know, the Lord led me to open up situations. That problem I was having with the brother. Why I was left out of a certain responsibility. Why I was set aside by the brothers for some burden. I'd say, Lord... Why does this trouble me? Why am I unhappy about this? Why do I care about that so much? I would ask. I would open. I would inquire. My, when you're walking between your classes, that is the best time. Just, just the thing that's bothering you today, just the thing that's bothering you right now, you just, Lord Jesus, I open that up to you right now. I want you to mingle yourself with me in this thing, in this area of my being. I'm a complicated being. My heart is like a beehive. So many little pockets and compartments. And maybe he's made home in some of those, but there's a lot left that need to be opened up, that need to be emptied out. And you know, all the things that happen to us throughout our life, are just to open up that part of our heart so that he can come in. He'll never force himself. You have to ask him in. Point A, the central thought of God is that God wants to be our enjoyment. Central thought, the central thought. God wants to be enjoyed. 
God wants to be our enjoyment. So let's not just have the term, the slogan. I don't want everybody to become super subjective and introspective. Do I really enjoy the Lord or not? It might be that you're in a very difficult situation under intense pressure, suffering something very difficult. And you know what? You can still enjoy the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to be <laughs> like that. It's not outward. It's not happy, 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 happy like that. It's like amen, amen, amen. It's okay, amen. I'm good. Then point B, we enjoy God as our portion through the word and by the spirit. Nothing, if you want to know something, the Jubilee is between these pages. This is your Jubilee, your Jubilee book, your Jubilee manual. <laughs> Every verse has an aspect of the experience of the Jubilee. The Word and the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit. Learn how to pray with the Word. Oh my goodness. Don't pray read in any kind of formal way. Don't pray read like sometimes they do in a meeting. You know what pray reading is? All of God's seeking ones, all of the ones throughout church history, going all the way back, what did they do? They prayed as they read the Bible. As they read the Bible, they mixed the words of the Bible with amens, with faith. You know, Paul said this in Hebrews. That those people in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, they had the gospel preached to them. But that word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in the ones who heard it. How do you mix the word with faith? Is you have to pray it. You have to say amen to it. In the beginning, God. Oh, hallelujah. It begins with God. Everything begins with God. My day begins with God. Oh, God, you are my beginning. Pray the word back to him. Find your way. Find your way to take the word with your spirit. And you will touch enjoyment. I promise. I promise. Nothing is more real, practical, present, enjoyable, or available than the Word of God. And the Spirit, the Spirit is available. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is practical. The Spirit is present, enjoyable, and available. I hope you get these five words. What? Real, practical, present, available, uh, I'm sorry, enjoyable and available. The Word and the Spirit. God has made the Jubilee so reachable, so practical for us. I really hope, you know, we're 
digital generation. I guess you have to read books for your classes. Last night, Mark was talking about reading the Bible. What a good word for young people. Begin your life reading the Bible, reading the word again and again and again. I've shared this before. What I always did when I started, I'd write the date on the first page, put the date up there, you know, January 1, whatever. And then when I finished, I put the date back here. And so then I'd start again the next day, put the date here. When I finished, I put the date there. After a while, you realize, wow, this is really good. You know, I, I, I figured it took me about six times through before you begin to understand what you're reading, before you begin to really enjoy it. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I read it. I read it once. It's like reading a, a novel or a book, you know. No. This is the Word of God. At some point, you'll have this realization. Don't read too fast. Don't read too slow. Don't stop. Sometimes you have to read the outline, I mean the, the footnotes, but don't always read. Just read with the full realization that you are standing face to face with your dear Lord Jesus. He's just right there. He's talking to you. This is how to enjoy the Jubilee. And as we enter into the word, our vision is enlarged. We look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. We pray, Lord, enlarge my enjoyment. And then we go treading every day. We go out to tread, to walk around. Paul said in Colossians, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You've been allotted this portion, now walk around in this portion. All right, let's read point C altogether. From years of experience, I have found that there is just one antidote to our problems. This antidote is the all-inclusive and very effective. It is God himself. But if we take the Lord and apply him to our situation, things will be different. Our portion is the Lord himself. Because he is living, real, and practical, we can taste him and enjoy him. Okay, focus. The first blessing in the New Testament Jubilee is that we are recovered to God as our lost divine possession, our portion. We possess God as our portion by enjoying him through the word and by the spirit. How about we stop here? Please uh, pray with your neighbor for a minute, and then the brothers will direct us. <clears throat>